If you will, with me this morning, would you turn once again to 2 Samuel chapter 22 uh, in your own Bibles or uh, it's printed in your bulletins or in those blue Bibles on page 275. We find in this chapter a song of David, a song celebrating God's mighty work, God's mighty work in saving, in delivering, in rescuing David, and along with David, his people throughout his life. Last week, we looked at the first 25 verses of this song, and we saw that it is a song that is full of God-directed praise, which is to say it's a doxological song. It's a, it's a doxology. It's a song with words of praise that are directed to God himself. But what we noted also is that while it is full of praise and it is essentially a song of praise to God, that it is a deeply and intimately personal song for David as well. It is an expression of his heart. It comes from his heart. And we see that not only in the words that are before us in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 22, but we also see it in how this song is included in Israel's psalm book, in Israel's Psalter. It is Psalm 18. And if you recall, when it is included for the public worship of the, worship of the people of God, it includes a phrase at the very beginning that I said last week was an important phrase, but is not in this particular version of it. And that is, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And what that helped us to see is that while this, these, these 51 verses of this song are full of any number of details and battles and various kinds of illusions, that at its heart, what this is is a love song. It's a love song of thanksgiving from a man who had seen the Lord's work in his life to say thank you to the Lord who had done all things for him. Let me now continue the reading with the glorious, majestic word of our God. The Lord lives. The Lord is with us right now. And right now, the Lord speaks to us through his word in this context of worship with this word today. I'm going to read just the first two verses uh, that were the beginning of the song, and then I'll pick up with a portion that is in uh, your bulletin. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. And then verse 26, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely and with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people. But your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. 
He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me a shield of your salvation and your gentleness makes me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise and they fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David, and his offspring forever. Great God in heaven, we thank you for this song. We thank you for the deliverance that you gave to David, for the deliverance that you've given to us as well. And so we sing with our brother in praise to you, our rock. May his song be our song. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I will admit to you uh, that as I looked at this song this week, there were so many wonderful themes and wonderful verses in it, some that are longer and some of them that are just these little nuggets that are tucked into uh, this song that I struggled. I, I really thought, what do I focus on here? Because there were any number of directions that I could have chosen, any number of themes that I thought, oh, this would work. This is the way to organize this. This is the way to think through it. Let's just park on one or two phrases in here. It was, it was difficult. But what I decided to do was kind of appropriately, I think, let David provide uh, the structure for us as we move along and, and orient our thoughts today around the theme of Our Rock. Uh, Our Rock was the title that I gave uh, the sermon last week, and I thought, no, we're, we're, we're in the same song, and it works again this week. And for those of you who kind of like to know where we're going in a sermon, where we're, where we're headed, this one's going to come to us in four movements today. Our Rock stands firm, and then Our Rock 
equips. Then our rock sends. And finally, blessed be our rock. Now, last week in introducing the song for us, I spoke briefly about the metaphor of the rock and how it is used throughout this psalm and throughout scripture as well. Verse 32 in, uh, in the middle of this song says this question, for who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God? Clearly for David, our God is a rock. Our God is the rock. Our God is the firm place to stand in the midst of all of the tumult of this world, in the midst of all of the things that we experience in our own lives that we hear about or read about in the news. Our God is a rock, the rock, the place to stand. And even in our contemporary use of the word rock, we see kind of a similar meaning to this. We get this, we understand how this metaphor is used. We talk about uh, being solid as a rock or something or someone uh, being rock hard. Or I slept like a rock or something is rock solid. Or perhaps uh, one, one saying that we have, one idiom that we have that really helps us here to grasp what's going on in this psalm is steady as a rock. Okay, steady as a rock. And that's kind of what David is getting at here when he talks about the Lord. Our God is a rock. Our God is steady as a rock. Now, Lauren and I have had the privilege, and maybe some of you have also had the privilege, of going to Gibraltar, of seeing uh, that rock in particular, of seeing the magnificence of it, the solidity of it, the firmness of it, uh, the, the fortress-like character of that rock that exists there as you enter into the Mediterranean Sea. Gibraltar actually might be a helpful image, even if you haven't been there, you've certainly seen pictures of it. Uh, it might be a helpful image to have in your mind as we use this theme and work through it today. And, and we can underscore in this idea of the firmness several qualities of our firm standing rock and, and the first thing we'd like to note here is when you talk about our rock, it is a unique rock. He is a unique rock. That's what David is trying to say in that question, for who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except for our God? Our God is a unique rock. In Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 32, we have a very similar song. It's a song of Moses at the end of his life, and it carries in it a lot of the themes that we see in this song as well. It begins like this, the song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. The rock is perfect. This is the same thing that David says in the verse right before the one I just quoted for us. Verse 31, this God, his way is perfect. What's unique about our rock? He's perfect. 
He's absolutely perfect in all of his ways. And then comparing our God with the God of the nations, and this is going back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, we also read this. Moses says, for their rock, that is the God of the nations, their rock is not as our rock. For our enemies are by themselves. For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. In other words, you could say it this way. Our enemies have rocks. Our enemies have stones. But they actually are by themselves because all they are are rocks. All they are are stones. Instead, our God is unique. Our God is different than that. Our God is with us. And then we can continue this. Their rocks may be just rocks. Here's another quality of our rock in its firmness. Our rock is living. Our rock is animated. Our rock has the one quality that we would all think of as not belonging to rocks. It's alive, right? If, if you asked kids, kids, tell me something that is a thing that's not alive. Well, pretty close to the top of the list, I imagine, would be a rock. A rock is a thing that's a, that's a thing you can touch it, but it isn't alive. But our rock has the opposite quality of that. Our rock is unique, and it is, he is alive. Verse 47, the Lord lives, and blessed be my rock. The Lord is the living one, blessed be my rock. Moses writes this again in Deuteronomy 32, verse 18 in his song. He says it this way. You were unmindful, and this is talking to the people of God, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Here's something. Not only is our rock a living rock, not only is our rock alive, our rock is a mother. Our rock is a life-giving rock. It bears children. He bears children. The rock of our salvation bears children. It kind of reminds you of, uh, or, or helps us to see why Paul, in a passage that is sometimes considered by people to be puzzling, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, is reflecting back on the deliverance of the Israelites by Moses out of Egypt and then through the wilderness. And he writes this, he writes, and all, that is all the people of Israel, were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Paul gets it. We have a living rock. We have a life-giving rock. And the rock was Christ. And so our firm standing response or rock is both unique and living. And then our rock, this will be the third quality of this firm, our rock is reliable. And you can say this however you'd like to say it. Our rock is reliable or true or stable or trustworthy or faithful. David's primary point throughout this song that he is giving to us here is to say 
that throughout his life, in all of the circumstances in which he has found himself, the rock proved to be true. The second part of verse 31 says this, the word of the Lord proves true. David has in his own life and in his own decisions and by the enemies that were surrounding him, David has put the Lord to the test in the best way and has found that the rock proves true in all circumstances. You can count on him. God promised to be with David and he was. God promised to establish the kingdom of David and he did. He was the firm place to stand. Whether David found himself on the heights. So look at verse 34. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. If David found himself there, the rock stood firm. The rock was the firm place for him to stand. You watch the videos of the ibex of the mountain goats uh, on the heights and you go, how in the world can they actually climb up those cliffs? That's what David is saying. If I was on the heights, then my foot stood firm on the rock that God had put beneath me, or whether David found himself in a broad place. So, verse 37, you gave me a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. So what he's saying is, listen, I've tested the rock. I've tested the rocks that are up high on the mountains, and I've tested the rocks that are in an open place. The Lord is a rock who has kept my feet firm, no matter where I found myself in this world. There's a constancy in God, a consistency in God that David is pointing to here. There's no shadow of turning with our rock. Our rock is the rock. And then still in this category of the rock standing firm, perhaps the most significant usage that David is making here, is that the rock, our rock, his rock, is a refuge. Verse 31, again, he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And then verse 33, this God is my strong refuge. Now we know from having now spent months looking at the life of David, studying the life of David, seeing how it is re revealed for us in Scripture. We know that David was oftentimes in his life a man on the run, a man in flight. His life was often in peril in ways that, frankly, none of us can really imagine. None of us have had armies and kings in pursuit of us in particular driving us out into the wilderness, setting us by ourselves. Hard for us to imagine that. And David, given this though, knew the value of having a refuge, of having a good, solid hiding place, a cave out of the rock, or the wilderness where nobody else was, or an enemy city or a neighboring country, or the other side of a river as we just saw a couple of chapters ago. But what David is singing is that behind all of those places, wherever God had sent him, his unique 
living, reliable, constant God was his rock, was his salvation, was his shield. The, 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 the key phrase perhaps to describe it is verse 47, the rock of my salvation. That's who our God is. He is the rock of our salvation, the rock of refuge, the rock that protects. And this is a good time for us to transition to the next movement here. And to point out that our rock equips. As his rock, God protected David. God sheltered David in times of storm. But protecting David is not the reason that God called David. God could have protected David being a shepherd out in the wilderness probably more easily than he could have protected him being the king of Israel. Now, David, as we know from David's own testimony, when he's facing Goliath and trying to prepare for that, David faced dangers in the wilderness. David faced dangers as a shepherd. But protecting David, while it was good and it was necessary, it wasn't the purpose. It wasn't the purpose for which God had called him to himself. God called David to be the king of his people. And he commissioned David. And our rock had a mission for David. David was not only to be protected, David was to be a protector. David was not only to be defended, God could do that, but to defend the people of God. David was not only a man who found himself pursued by enemies. David was a man who in the Lord's time pursued the enemies who went after them in the establishment of the kingdom. And for that, he needed to know that the rock not only had his back, sorry, we're going to mix our metaphors here a little bit, the rock had his back, but that his rock was equipping him. The rock then becomes for David a training ground for the warrior king. On the rock, on the rock, he comes out of the darkness and into the light. Verse 29, for you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. David's in the midst of a cave, in the midst of darkness, and he's able to see there, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a dark place, but my God has delivered me out of a situation in which there seemed to be no excuse. And in this training ground that is the rock, the Lord equips him to say, yeah, you can see now. You can see that I am the one who is with you. I am the one who is providing you with the protection. And then David learns in that context. Look at verse 30. For by you, I can run against a troop and by my God, I can leap over a wall. That's what I wanted to call the sermon, wall leaping or something like that. Um, but, but you can almost picture the scene. It's, it's almost, when I read that verse, I almost think of a boot camp. Now, I've, again, I've never been in war, but I've seen enough movies to imagine what a boot camp looks like. And, you know, running at a troop or leaping over a wall, those are the kind of things, right? The obstacle, that's what the obstacle course is. 
And so the training ground for David is to see those things, is to experience those things. God is equipping him. God is showing him, yeah, you can do this. Now let's practice it. Let's take a run at it. Let's take a run at that wall. Leap over that wall and see if I, the rock, have your back when you do it. And then look at verse 35. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. David, how did you get so good at warfare? You're a good singer. You're a good musician. How did you get so good at warfare? My God trained me. My rock trained me for warfare. I can bend a bow of bronze. Now, a, a full bow of bronze was not something anyone used because, of course, you couldn't bend it without breaking it. Maybe it was a strip of bronze that was on the outside of the bow. Maybe it's just an analogy to say, even if it was a bow of bronze, my God has trained me to be able to use that bow. And then verse 40, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. That's what you did. You equipped me with strength for the battle. And with that, I, I, hope, I hope you can then see the connection between the New Testament reading from Ephesians 6 and what we have going on in our passage here as well. Paul picks up this idea for the New Testament church and says this is a spiritual warfare that's being discussed here and our God has equipped us for this warfare by providing all of this armor that we can use in our battle, in our spiritual battle. Whatever that battle may look like for each of us in the settings to which God has called us, in the place in the line to which God has assigned us. Or think of Ephesians 4. Right? Ephesians 4, you, you, God is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Equipped and equipped people. He equips me with strength for battle. I took the title of today's sermon, which was equipped to do his will. I took that title from the benediction in Hebrews with which I often close the service and will once again today. The God of peace, the God of peace dot, 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 because there's some stuff in between. May the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That's the benediction to the New Testament church, to you. And that's what David is saying here. David is saying here, my God, the rock, equipped me with strength. My God equipped me with strength for the battle. A rock equips us for the purpose for which he has called us, for which he called David. Say it as you'd like. Our rock furnishes us, empowers us, strengthens us, girds us up. Last week I made reference to uh, Hannah's song, which begins 1 Samuel. And in Hannah's song, she prayed that the feeble would bind on strength. And in the conclusion, she prayed that the Lord would give strength to his king. David's song is the rock did it. My rock did that. Exactly what was prayed, exactly what was hoped for, my rock did all of that for me, the anointed one. It is very similar to 
what Joshua says at the end of his life, right? We saw the song from Moses. Joshua, at the end of his life, a life of combat, a life of conquest in the midst of the land, we read this, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. That's what David is saying. I was equipped. I was equipped. God did everything that he said he would do. So, our rock stands firm to save us. But then, our rock equips us for the station, for the battle that he has put before us. And what then follows is what I hope you'd expect, and that is this. Our rock sends us. So, our, our rock has saved us in his firmness. Our rock has equipped us, and our rock sends us. The training, the equipping that our rock provides are not the kind of training that you know, many of us have received, whether we received it at school or whether we received it in some kind of corporate seminar, seminar where you're listening to the training and you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is unrealistic. It will never be used. Uh, it is totally impractical. This is useless training that I am receiving right now. Instead, instead, if we can play with our metaphor for a bit here, the equipping that our rock provides is essential equipping. And in fact, the rock then is a launch pad or, or the rock is a starting block from which the idea is, David, push off, man. Plant your foot here. It's a firm place to stand. Push off. And guess what? I'll be right behind you. I got your back. I will be right there with you in this battle into which I am sending you. When you get to first base in baseball, it's happy. You're glad to have gotten to first base, baseball, softball, but you don't say, I'm glad I am safe. Now we're in the major league. The bases are bigger than they used to be. They're more comfortable probably than they used to be. I'm safe. I will stay right here on first base because I'm safe in this place. I have been saved. I could have been out, but I'm saved. Instead, of course, you have a mission when you are on first base. What's your mission? Advance. Advance. And the hitter behind you, the hitter has a mission as well. And the mission of the hitter is advance the runner. Advance the runner even if you have to sacrifice yourself. You may have to sacrifice yourself in this. Advance the runner. David didn't play war games. He didn't play baseball. He went to war. He was sent to war. That was his mission. Defend, protect, establish Israel in the midst of nations that would like to destroy her. David was equipped for the battle that God sent him into. And as David talks about that here, he toggles back and forth between what the rock did, who was with him, if you look at it, uh, verse 40, the second half of verse 40. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. So that's one side of things, what the rock is doing, and then what he did. And they were pretty 
vibrant verbs to describe what he did. I pursued them. I crushed them. I destroyed them. I thrust them through. I beat them. I stamped them down like the mire in the streets. Now we know that David fought many battles within his own kingdom, Israel. That there was a struggle. There was a struggle for David within Israel. And he struggled to lead according to the law and the statutes of God. But as this song comes to its conclusion, the focus is not on Israel specific, but it comes out to the nations. And that's what I want us to see. If you look at verse 44, the second part of verse 44, you kept me as head of the nations. Not just the nation singular, you kept me as head of the nation, but you kept me as head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. In other words, those who sought friendship with David, the Lord's anointed king, found friendship. They found allegiance with him. And those who took their stand against the Lord and against his anointed, they found his fury. You found either his allegiance or you found the fury of the king. But let me go to verse 50 here for a moment. Verse 50 says this, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Now here we see a vision for this. A, a, a vision that the ultimate purpose in, in, of our rock in sending us is actually not for the destruction of the nations, but that the nations might be converted to praising the Lord with the Lord's anointed. What David is saying here is, I will praise you for this, Lord, among the nations. I will stand in the midst of the nations, and with the nations, I will praise you. I will stand in their midst. The Holy One of Israel, the Anointed One of Israel, standing in the midst of the nations and saying, let's worship. Let's worship God now together. Paul catches this. Paul catches this, the greater purpose that is here. Paul sees this and goes, got it. I got what's being said here. This is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual advance among the nations. And Paul does it by quoting this verse, verse 50, in Romans chapter 15 and putting it squarely in the New Testament context, the New Covenant context. Look at the front of your bulletin. I put the, uh, an extended section here on it because I wanted us to see this as clearly as we could. Romans 15, in front of your bulletin, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's a beautiful simplicity to that, right? Welcome. Welcome other people. Show hospitality. Welcome other people. As God has welcomed you, be a welcoming people to those who are around you. For I tell you, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. In other words, he became a servant to Israel. Christ became a servant to Israel, the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness. 
right? To show exact, this is what God said he would do. Every word proved true that the Lord said our God has proved to, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. What are the promises given to the patriarch? David, for example, the promises a son will be given to you, an anointed one will be given to you. He will reign on the throne of his father David. God confirms the promise given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You go, wait a minute, I thought it was all this was happening for Israel. But Paul says, no, it's not just for Israel, it's in order that the Gentiles might see that. Evidence, what's the evidence that he pulls out? It's 2 Samuel 22, verse 50. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Paul says, do you see it? Do you see what's happening here? What's happening here is that God is making a way possible for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God by establishing his anointed one as king in the midst not only of Israel, but in amongst the nations as well. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. The song then is not complete if you think that the destruction of the nations is the end of it. Instead, it is the reclamation of the nations to the kingdom of the anointed king, Jesus. That's what this song is about. Paul sees it. says, this is what it's about. It looks like just destruction. It's not just about destruction. Our rock is firm. Our rock equips. Our rock sends. Blessed be our rock. The animating vision for this song is the, in the end not a vision of war, but a vision of peace, of righteousness, of joyful worship and glory to the king and to his anointed. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. When I give you one more verse from this, one more phrase out of this psalm. It's one that you may have heard or caught it when I read it. The second part of verse 36. And your gentleness made me great. Your gentleness made me great. Earlier in this song, we saw God coming with, with coals, and fire, and smoke coming out of his nostrils as he came. David says, your gentleness made me great. And we go, okay, wait, wait, what, what's happening here? What David is saying is, your condescension, the fact that you, in your gentleness, were willing to condescend, to get beneath me, to lift me up, to exalt me, that's what made me great. That's what allowed me to establish this kingdom in the midst of a nation, the nations, is your gentleness that allowed this to take place. You got it with Christ, right? What's the self-descriptor for Christ? I'm gentle and lowly in heart. His gentleness, the gentleness of the anointed one from the, the Lord above to come as a servant underneath of us in order to lift us up, that's what makes us great. That's why we say the Lord lives and blessed be my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. Praise to the Lord in the great international congregation is the end. 
Can you see it then? Can you see that this psalm of David is actually the psalm that belongs to Jesus Christ in all of his life and his suffering and his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his enthronement, his session at the right hand of his father. Great salvation, last verse. He brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Ever since 2 Samuel 7, David has known it's not about him. It's about the one to come. It's about the offspring that is to come from David, the one who will sit on the throne of David, an eternal throne, and who will reign forever from that eternal throne to David and his offspring forever. And can you see here, can you see that we, the church, have the same thing? The Lord is our firm rock. But our firm rock is not merely first base. Our firm rock has saved us and delivered us and is our refuge and praise God for that. But it is not just for standing upon. Our rock equips us right now in the preaching of the word as we are gathered together as the people of God blessing the name of the Lord. Our God is equipping us. And then our God sends us. Our God takes this body, says, I I've saved you. I've equipped you. Now go. Now go. Go into this world. Go into this world, and as you have opportunity in this world, go in it with a mission of proclamation, with a, permission, with a mission of living life, of showing your good deeds amongst the world so they can see them and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are a delivered people. David was a delivered king, heralding the delivering king. Oh, Zion, haste, your mission high-fulfilling to tell the world that God is light. We must own this love song. You have to own this love song. You have to own it individually and collectively as the adopted children of God in Jesus Christ. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Lord, indeed, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We give you thanks for such a great salvation. We give you thanks for equipping us. We give you thanks for sending us. O rock, blessed be your name. Keep us faithful. In your name we pray. Amen.